All right, three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. His name is David Livingston or Stone. He has published many books, but he's just recently put out a work that's very impressive, encyclopedic in its knowledge, and definitely parapolitical, a lot of occult material in there. title of the book, which you can find online, is Ordo Abkeo. And if you can see on YouTube, you can see it's all spelled out. So it's Ordo Abkeo. .ca, I believe. So if you'd like to check that out, I've been reading through it today. I didn't have time to go through the whole material. There's tons of stuff, six total, uh, really almost books in themselves. But uh, he's also written other books, The Dying God, The Hidden History of Western Civilization, published in 2002, Black Terror, White Soldiers, Islam, Fascism, and the New Age, published June 2013, Transhumanism, very timely topic, Transhumanism, The History of a Dangerous Idea, 2015, and Terrorism and the Illuminati, a 3,000-year history. And I've read through that book. That was published in 2017. So, Mr. Livingston, are you there? I'm here. Is it Stone or Stone? Livingstone, right? I think it's Stone, yeah. Okay. Uh, for people who haven't heard your name or may not be familiar with work, can you talk a little bit about, about your background and what led you to this uh, work that you published online, Order of Care? Yeah, um... It's, it's now 30 years of study. So um, this is why my, you know, the, mm, my, my recent book is really, is, is, uh, is very much the, 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 the result of all that uh, effort. So, you know, I, I've, I've even shocked myself at the, the, the new, the amount of new ideas and concepts that I was able to discover even though I've been at it for so long, I thought I had to touch a lot of topics, but this is uh, so many of them are brand new and, and, and so pivotal, like so crucial to understanding the, the bigger picture. Basically what I've been trying to do the last um, 30 years is understand the history of the occult. And uh, of course, that's not just for its own sake. It's because uh, the, those who spearhead this tradition uh, have attained, especially in the last couple of centuries, uh, positions of very important influence where they've basically been able to orchestrate most of the recent events. So to understand what they've done, why they've done it, and ideally, uh, if we can try to understand what they're trying to do, then the only way to do that is to uh, explore the history of the cult. It's not an easy task because... uh, it's not available in mainstream history books. Uh, right. It is touched on by a number of occult books, but those books are grossly unreliable because they uh, tend to be have to do mostly with legends. The thing is that with every legend, there's a there's a, a piece of truth to it. So uh, it's been a matter of trying to sift through all these occult legends and try to get to the root of what the true history was, because it is uh, it is. At least, I mean, it's a very ancient history. It's at least a 3,000-year history. And uh, one that is, I mean, particularly for what we know as Western history is basically a whitewashed version of occult history for for the masses. Right. I mean, it's fascinating. Yeah. So you actually start this new book all the way back to Chaldean Magi, Ancient Greece. So you're definitely starting right from the time of recorded history. Yes. Which is what the main, right. Sorry, please go. Go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say that's what the Masons do. 
OTO. You know, you have a section on Crowley, an excellent section on Crowley. Albert Pike. Albert Pike. So uh, they're looking at it in this kind of uh, great swath of history. So I think it's important for for you to uh, uncover all that stuff and show what these guys are thinking, the people who orchestrated 9-11, things like that. Stuff right. that's going on with COVID, Great Reset, Schwab. Yeah. Um, so where, where would you like to cover? Uh, we talked a little bit in the pre-interview, but do you have anything that uh, from the book that might be timely? Yeah, I'd like, I'd like to talk about what I just posted today um, okay. because it, it really ties in to the, some of the most important, if not the most important finding in my recent book. So uh, basically what's happening on the 21st of December is what's called the Great uh, Conjunction. And that's basically uh, when the planets of Jupiter and Saturn line up and uh, basically uh, are on top of each other. So this is an event that happens every 20 years. It's the most important event in uh, occult astrology. So... uh, What's interesting is that, so first of all, astrologers, I mean, it's, it's, it's being published in the mainstream news, but I don't think a lot of people are catching on to the significance of it. But astrologers are referring to it as the Christmas star. So what, what's particularly interesting about this particular conjunction is that it lines up exactly with the uh, winter solstice. So, of course, there's four Luciferian holidays a year, and that lines up with the, the two solstices and two equinoxes. And uh, so those are Christmas, Easter, uh, St. John's Day, and Halloween. So um, um, I read an article today that pointed out that although this happens every 20 years, the particular, uh, this particular, the closeness of this particular alignment hasn't happened since 1623. So this is pretty shocking because one of the most important findings that I've done in my in in my late that I sh- that I share in my latest book is uh, because I've studied the Rosicrucians for a while and Rosicrucians are essential to this entire story, right? I mean, basically, you got several stages in the development of a cult tradition, and for at least Western history, it starts with the Templars, and then uh, basically reemerges as the Rosicrucians. The Rosicrucians result in the Freemasons and finally the Illuminati. So the advent of the Rosicrucians in particular is really represents the modern uh, birth of, uh, you know, the, the, the most influential uh, cult tradition. So, you know, if you, if you look at their own literature, what happens is that the, 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 the advent of the Rosicrucians was deliberately timed with the great con, uh, conjunction of their time, which was supposed to happen in 1623. So the, the Rosicrucian movement actually emerged uh, a few years before that, when when the first manifestos uh, were published. But it's when the movement was announced to the world that it happened in 1623. So also what I show in my book, this again, this is all part of my latest findings. In fact, this is what I've treated before, but I've gone into more depth this time. So what's unique is that I've seen no other scholars identify is that uh, right after this period, so first of all, the the Rosicrucians, they supposedly get um, 
defeated when when because what happens is they offer the, so the Rosicrucian movement is based on the marriage of Frederick V of Frederick V of the Palatinate to Elizabeth Stuart, who's the daughter of King James. So this is this is written about in a book by uh, Valentin Andrea called The Chemical Wedding, which means the alchemical wedding. So this wedding was particularly significant. And I explained where, where that goes in a minute before I explain becomes before. Okay. So basically, um, the the Rosicrucian movement is defeated, but it survives in a in a group called the Hartlib Circle. They call it Hartlib Circle because it's a circle around a person, in particular several three at least three people in particular. But the leader of it is a guy named Samuel Hartlib. And then uh, his three partners were John Dury and John Comenis. So um, they, they form what's called the Invisible College. And that's well known that uh, the Royal Society came out, derived out of the, out of the Invisible College. And then right. the Freemasonry came out of the Royal Society. So the Hartlib Circle basically were Rosicrucians. And they were intimately involved with Manasseh ben Israel. So Manasseh ben Israel is a very important uh, rabbi of Amsterdam. Amsterdam at the time was basically, you know, the center of European Jews because before that they had been kicked out of uh, Spain. And one of the places where they found refuge was in Amsterdam because uh, they were largely able to follow their own religion. They didn't have to uh, remain conversos as they did. Thanks for that chapter because that's the fiery trigon right there. That's it. Okay. So Manasseh ben Israel, this is basically what it was found is that uh, he paid Oliver Cromwell to overthrow Charles I, who happens to be the brother of Elizabeth Stuart, who married, married Frederick V. She, they were the children of James, King James. So uh, the result of that is that in exchange, um, Cromwell uh, repealed the law or helped to repeal the law that uh, barred Jews from entering uh, England because the Jews had been expelled from England since the year 1290. So ben Israel becomes the leader of the circle of, Rose, of all these Rosicrucians, and they begin to start fanning expectations about the significance of the year 1666, which they believe, based on their interpretations of the Book of Revelation, will represent the advent of the Messiah. So, of course, uh, what happens is that in that year, that's the year that Shabtai Zavi declares himself Messiah. And his, yeah, his immediate influence happens all around these people who are these millenarians associated with the Hartlib Circle, particularly a guy named Peter Serrarius. And Peter Serrarius is, is Manasseh ben Israel's main partner, and he's the one who keeps most of these uh, guys uh, abreast of the events of Shabbatai's mission, and particularly uh, people like John Dury, and most important, a guy named, uh, what was his first name? Oldenburg, this is his last name, who is one of the founders of the Royal Society. So when you look at the Royal Society, it's basically mostly composed of people who are associated with the Hartlip Circle, so-called Invisible College, and associated directly and indirectly with Manasseh ben Israel. So what I found, this is my most recent findings, is that uh, 
Manasseh ben Israel's followers, uh, the first thing they do in London is they create the Bevis Marks uh, synagogue. And I talk about this in my chapter on the Freemasons. And so uh, Bevis Marks synagogue then has four sister congregations in the United States. And I talk about that in my chapter on the American Revolution. So there are the four synagogues are uh, Shirith Israel in London, uh, the Turo Synagogue in Newport, the Mikveh Israel Synagogue in Philadelphia. The reason why it's called Mikveh Israel is because Manasseh ben Israel wrote a book about the lost tribes supposedly living in North America, which he called uh, Lost, the Last, was it Last Hope? The Last Hope, which is translates as uh, Mikveh Israel. I hope I got that uh, title correctly, please. Uh, Whoever's looking that up, you'll have to verify that. But the, the Hebrew title is Mikveh Israel. So, so these are the congregations that are involved basically in fomenting the American Revolution, particularly a guy named Haim Solomon, who was a Rothschild agent. Uh, and it's, it's this network of uh, Masons associated with these four synagogues, particularly Beth Elohim in Charleston, who found Scottish Rite Freemasonry in, I believe, the, the year 1801. So to backtrack a bit, this entire network is based on the descendants of the alchemical wedding of Frederick V and Elizabeth Stuart. So all their descendants become the key actors in the development of Freemasonry, tied, of course, with the, 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 the Invisible College. So primarily, uh, so because what happens is that um, I think it's Charles II who succeeded by James II. And James II is overthrown by William of Orange. But William of Orange happens also to be a descendant of the alchemical wedding. But nevertheless, uh, James is a Stuart family. So the what happens is you get the Jacobite movement that are committed to the restoration of the Stuart dynasty. And the Jacobite movement then uh, basically are at war with the Brits who... Uh, because of their uh, rejection of James II, and they flee to to France. So it's there in France that they begin the founding of what's called Ecossais Freemasonry or Scottish uh, Masonry. So this all happens, develops in France. So the main people who are associated with are all descendants of the chemical wedding. So principally, you have uh, Frederick the Great, King of Prussia, um, uh, the the various Dukes of Orléans, starting with uh, Philip II. Philip II of Orléans. Uh, this is very interesting because he he married the daughter is it the daughter of a woman who is involved in a in a notorious affair. Uh, black. Uh, she was accused of practicing black magic rituals involving uh, human sacrifice, called the affair of the poisons. So basically, it's a family, the Orléans family in particular, were notoriously involved in the black arts. Yes, and, uh, yes. Yeah. And his descendant, I think his great-grandson great was Philip, uh, Philip Duke of Orléans, known as the Duke of Chartres sometimes, or Philippe Egalité, which is the name that he took on in the French Revolution, Illuminati, and one of the leaders of the French Revolution. And the other one, the other family, the other Pardon, person and person is Charles of Hassan Castle. So he is part of the Hassan Castle family. 
his, his, it's with his father that the Rothschild family uh, begins uh, their fortune. And so Charles of Hessen Kessel becomes not only a member of the Illuminati and uh, or basically organizes several, the first of several Masonic conferences, particularly one, Willemsbad, in 1682. But he's also becomes grandmaster of the Asiatic Brethren. The Asiatic Brethren are very important because they were founded by Moses Dobrushka, who is the cousin of Jacob Frank. So out of the the successor, so, you know, Jake, Rabbi Antelman discovered a list, what he called a list of ordination, which lists the various uh, successors, recognized successors, Shabtai V. So among them is uh, Rabbi Alion, who is a rabbi uh, associated with Bevis Marx, so closely associated, and that's the synagogue that was involved in the birth of Freemasonry. Uh also, Rabbi Abishutz was very important because Rabbi Abishutz, he was part of what's called the Emden Abishutz controversy, which is really what brought the Sabbatian movement to the fore. It's important to remember that in Judaism, Sabbatianism was a heresy, regarded as a heresy. The, the legitimate traditional rabbis attempted to um, suppress the movement. Uh, so they excommunicated Sabbatians, but they weren't able to suppress it. It basically continued to survive on the ground, principally through organizations like the Freemasons and the Illuminati. So, uh, so Jacob Frank is another successor, and again, uh, his cousin is Moses Rushka, who found his, founds the Ejiki Brethren. The, one of the most important, uh, so another person who's listed on the list of ordination as the, the final you know, successor at that time was Moses Mendelssohn. So Moses Mendelssohn becomes the leader of what's called Haskalah. And that's a Jewish enlightenment. And it's a movement basically that uh, attempts to reform Judaism. So effectively, it was the source of of uh, creating what's called, what eventually became called, called, referred to as Reform Judaism. And so all these guys, the Gaza guys who were in this Haskalah were all associated with the Asiatic Brethren. Uh, they were also associated with what's called the Yudin Lodge because the Frank Asiatic Brethren were particularly a guy named uh, uh, Molitor, who was the, the, the Grand Master of the Yudin Lodge in Frankfurt, also called the Rising Dawn, which was founded by a Rothschild agent. This is all history you can find in, you know, the most reputable books like, um, uh, is it, who is the, who's the writer of the history of the Jews? I can't remember his name. Uh, history of Jews and Freemasonry. You can start with him. Uh, I book is also excellent as a start. So the, um, so then as this Haskalah movement emerges in the United States, it, it, uh, become centered at Beth Elohim Synagogue in Charleston, which of course was also responsible for the formation of Scottish Rite Freemasonry. And this is where you get, uh, most importantly, a guy named Rabbi uh, Wise, who is the founder, is considered the founder of American, this is the Hamburg Temple. So the Hamburg Temple is where the it begins. So the Hamburg Temple is the source of the Reform Movement, which then gets uh, transplanted to the United States. So Rabbi um, Rabbi Wise becomes the leader of the Reform 
uh, movement in the United States. And that's basically where you get the Zionist movement, particularly the Zionist movement in the United States. So, awesome. you know, the scholars have tried to trace the survival of the Sabakians. Uh, a lot of them, a lot of most scholars tend to think that they sort of disappeared at the end of the 1900s. There's only a handful of people who are confirmed Sabakians, and they're all uh, basically uh, the leaders of the Zion, American Zionist movement. So that's uh, wow. So you can trace that all the way back. Yes. So that's uh, Judge Brandeis. Uh, Felix Frankfurter, uh, the Warburgs, and uh, Rabbi Stephen Weiss. So these are the guys now who are all basically responsible for leading the Zionist movement in the United States. Uh, yes, which can be all traced back to the um, Great Conjunction of 1663, which is being predicted to happen uh, in a couple of weeks. Right, December And that's just a piece of the history. There's a lot that goes before it and after it, and in between. Well, I think your writing in this book really shows the, how much influence a lot of these rabbis and people of the Jewish faith had upon European culture and civilization, how they're crossing... Let's be clear, though, they're not of the Jewish faith, right? They're Jewish heretics. Jewish heretics. But it, there's still people are referencing the rabbis and stuff, etc., mm -hmm. at least from what I gleaned from your, from your writing. But... Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's it's incredible. So here is Isaac Wise, he says from your book, Masonry is a Jewish institution whose history, degrees, charges, passwords, and explanations are Jewish from beginning to the end. It's pretty fascinating. Point. Um, <laughs> Period. <laughs> what, uh, where do you want to, where do you want to go from there? I mean, what else would you like to cover? From the there's so many angles from there because, uh, there's, I mean, it depends on when you want to cover. There's the whole history that leads up before that. Um, you know, what's really new in my book is about the history of the Order of Santiago, the, the, the which I had never heard of until the last few years, which is well, really the survival of the Templars. Or Santiago. Really, yeah, and that's really where you get because that that's it's they that's where the Templars survive. And so you know, Spain is kind of the forgotten. Uh, chapter of occult history because after the Templars were disbanded in 1312, 13, something like that, it's in Spain that they survive for, you know, a couple of hundred years and they dominate. Um, the, the, there are several centuries there that are known as the golden age of Judaism uh, inside under the Islamic uh, empire. But then it happens with the Reconquista. So for the most part, the Muslims are driven out of Spain and the order of Santiago uh, are uh, important that, but the entire history of the cult through that period, from the from the end of the Templars to the expulsion from Spain, is it resides in Spain and uh, is carried out through the Order of Santiago. Particularly uh, important is what's called the Camino of Santiago, the the Way of Saint James, which is the pilgrimage route. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I go into some. I explain there the source of of the significance of St. James and, and that pilgrimage route, and it's particularly its association with the, or, the Abbey of Cluny. So, because what's important is that all these families, the aristocratic families that are associated with the Order of Santiago are basically crypto-Templars and tendably Moranos and crypto-Jews. And uh, what happened... they're still around to this day, is that correct? Yes, they are. 
So what happens is that uh, in the, so uh, Ferdinand and Isabella were descendants of Jews, despite the fact that they ordered their expulsion in 1492. So what's important is that the day that uh, the day after the Jews were expelled, that's when um, Columbus gets sent on his voyage to the New World. Because part of the significance, I think, is because uh, according to Kabbalistic prophecy, the Messiah can't come until the Jews are spread across the world. And that's part of the basis of Manasseh ben Israel's mission. That's written about in his book, Hope of Israel. So um, the, the one of the main funders of Columbus's voyage is Isaac Barbanel. So there's a few people who are important in the history, modern history of Messianism, Jewish Messianism, and I'd say two of them would be Isaac Barbanel and then uh, uh, Manasseh ben Israel, whose wife was descended from Isaac Barbanel. Okay. Isaac Barbanel was also responsible for disseminating what's called the, son, the Curse of Ham myth. And the Curse of Ham myth is this idea that uh, the Black Africans are descended from the Canaanites, and therefore their enslavement is sanctioned by the Bible. And that's why you find that the the, the uh, slavery begins with the Knights of Christ, which is which is also the uh, Neo Templar order, closely associated with the Order of Santiago. It's Prince Henry the Navigator basically gives birth to the slave trade, and so this slave trade basically uh, provides the financial backing for this conspiracy to begin. And and it's it's with this exploration and then the travels to various parts of the Africa and the New World that uh, like Manasseh ben Israel was involved in the slave trade and most of his associates. So that's why the people who came to found uh, Masonry in the United States and the early Jewish communities were also associated with this uh, circle of uh, uh, slave trade. Slave trade, right. That was really a thing. The the sons of Noah, that was really people broke down the races into those different parts, right? Because one yes. became the Europeans, one became the blacks, one became Asian right. or Asian, whatever. Japheth is the so the three Japheth, sons. Japheth, right. so Japheth is the European. Uh, Shem is the ancestor of the Semites. And the sons of Ham, uh, like Cush and the Cambridge, the other names are probably uh, colonized Africa and became the, so the, 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 the anachronism there is basically that um, Canaan settled in Canaanite. So he wasn't an African, but for some reason uh, they attributed the curse back to Ham and then uh, attributed it to the, the it African. Could very convenient, right? Convenient, convenient biblical basis supposed for That's right. atrocities, right? Um, yeah, so, I mean, you just see these lines of uh, uh, families and, and things just bubbling from the past to the present, yes. um, especially uh, like through the Hispanic world. Yeah. And, I mean, it's I interesting, too. Be- oh, I was just going to say, like, you know, there's Jews spread around the world. If you look at some of these modern DNA tests, a lot of the Hispanics are like 2 or 3% uh, Sephardic Jews. Yeah, something like exactly. that. Yeah, and they're finding the same in South America, and particularly places like New Mexico. Oh, um, Which is another point I cover too, because New Mexico happens to be, of course, you know, 
the hub of places. It's the hub of UFO activity. Interesting. AKA occult activity. So, you know, places like the, the Dulce uh, underground base, uh, the Baca, you know, um, Maurice Strong's Baca, Rain, Baca Ranch. Right, Maurice Strong, right? Wasn't he like a New World Order Rockefeller guy? Yes, he's yeah. basically, you know, environmental movement leader, environmental movement and Rockefeller uh, agent. Yeah. Um, and you do you do kind of get up later into the book, you do talk about some of this uh, UFO, fake news, memetic yes. warfare, water kind of issues. Yes. So, I mean, it's uh, you definitely very ambitious. I think you achieved it. And I love the layout of the book, by the way. It's very easy to read, and I appreciate all the that's great. Thank you. Yeah, so Thanks. very well done job. Great job. Thank you. Um, where else would you like to cover? Let's cover on the most important finding that I got to uh, for this century. Okay. So basically, uh, you know, I've touched on synarchism before. Uh, synarchism. So, you know, the, the, the Illuminati is really only one of several organizations. And I find it, I'm still trying to figure out what's going on of why, why they were exposed, and it might be deliberate. Uh, you know, one of the reasons why is because they were actually at war with a group called the Golden Rosicrucians. And, uh, you know, most of the, the, the Golden Rosicrucians evolved into the Asiatic Brethren. So it's kind of, you know, you've, so you get these various tracks, particularly uh, the, French, the French Illuminati, uh, the, uh, the Martinists, the Golden Rosicrucians and the Asiatic Brethren is where the cult traditions survive. So, you know, you, you got to wonder why. You want, I wonder if it was a deliberate strategy to try to, you know, disband and expose the Illuminati to, to give the impression that they had been, uh, they, they had been uh, shut down. Right. So um, the Martinism basically evolves into synarchism, and it starts with a guy named... Uh, Alexander St. Eve Dalreg. And I trace, um, it's really important at this point because these families converge uh, on the Romanov dynasty uh, with, through their intermarriage with uh, the children of Queen Victoria. And of course, Queen, so, you know, I, to, I talked about the, the chemical wedding before. So that chemical mm-hmm. wedding basically uh, converges on uh, George I and then all modern, uh, the, the modern British uh, royal family are all traced back to him. And it's basically a very tightly knit tree that involves also um, one of their ancestors. In fact, there's Christian the Ninth of Denmark, who's considered the, God, the grandfather of Europe. And his, um, his grand, his, he is a grandson of Charles of Hessen-Kessel, who was the grandmaster of the Asiatic Brethren. And his wife, Louise of Hessen-Kessel, was friends with the wife of St. Eve d'Alvedre, the founder of synarchism. What were the principles of synarchism? Right. So we have to remember that the occult is based, has been since the beginning, on contact with the, however you want to call it, the spirit world, right? So communicating with the spirit world. There's various ways you can do that. Uh, There's channeling. You induce possession. uh, You... Typically, they will uh, carry out rituals to induce possession. Uh, this is basically what you know satanic ritual abuse is about: is that you can uh, you you can 
force a child uh, to face so much horror that they can't handle that it creates a, a, a door that allows uh, demonic entities to enter and possess the child. And then the, that entity can then communicate to the, to the initiates. So that's why everything is always based on revelations. And that's why the book of Revelation is, is a blueprint because it's considered communication from the other world. And this is a tradition that goes back long before the book of Revelation. You find there's a tradition of what's called apocalyptic literature, uh, which was associated particularly with groups like the Essenes, which is all founded on, you know, uh, communications to particular uh, quote-unquote prophets who received these revelations from the other world. This happened throughout the centuries, uh, particularly in the Kabbalah. Uh, uh, you know, mystics were said to have had contact with Elijah. Elijah is the most uh, often recurring uh, person. This has like um, uh, its equivalent in in uh, in, in Islam as uh, the little kidder, the green one, or or uh, Saint George and the Christians. So. In the Middle Ages, you have some other important revelations, particularly that of Nostradamus, and it continues. The most recent one, which is very important, I don't think we're going to have time to discuss it, which is the, the revelations of Fatima, the secrets of Fatima. Those are essential. Why, why so, do you think Fatima's secrets are essential? Because, so what I trace in my book on, uh, what chapter is it? It might be... Um, Five or six. It might be the Brotherhood Polaire. So basically, I, I found a website by a, a blogger who calls himself a Jewish Christian, and he traces the genealogy of the Frankists. And what's amazing is he traces the genealogy of a number of of uh, popes, particularly those two in the picture right there. So these are Frankist popes because when Jacob Frank, so Jacob Frank was arrested and he was held in the monastery. I'm not sure, I'm probably not going to pronounce it properly, but Chestatoa in Poland. And that's the monastery, the monastery church, I'm not sure what you call it, but basically that's where the Black Madonna is held, the famous Black Madonna. So the Black Madonna, esoterically, is Lilith. And Lilith, according to Zohar, is uh, the Shekinah, so, uh, which is identified with the Messiah. So... So the Frank was basically responsible for incepting the worship of Mary as a replacement for the Shekinah in crypto-Frankist uh, Christians. So this is why you find these Frankist popes were then responsible for the proliferation of the worship of Mary. And that happens all the way until Pope John Paul II, who was the one who did the most to advance the veneration of Mary, uh, Saint basically beatified more saints than any previous pope combined and was uh, devoted to what's called the consecration of Russia, which is the most important portion of the third secret of Fatima. Hmm. So, yeah, so that's that's a separate so, thing. So your take on it that these were like actual real spiritual events or? Um... No, they're oh, satanic okay occult events that are disguised as Christian and have been so merged into Catholic Christianity. Because you have to remember that, you know, going back to the Alta Vendita, the plan of the, of the Carbonari, particularly Mazzini, was to take over the Catholic Church. So this is why you find that the beginning of that infiltration starts with Cardinal Rampola. 
and the OTO claims Cardinal Rampola as one of their members. I've heard that. Yeah, no, I, I read that somewhere, right. definitely. That's so true. what's interesting is that Vatican Vatican II, and this is where I quote um, um, uh, Kumaraswamy, Ananda Kumaraswamy, who is the son of a follower of René Guénon, who was a friend of Malika Martin, who was a, who was a Mossad agent, a Jewish agent, who helped to orchestrate Vatican II. They basically were celebrating that Vatican II was the final success of, a, of the conspiracy that had begun with the attempt to install Cardinal Rampola. Wow, fascinating. That's incredible. That's a whole other show in itself, infiltration right. of the Catholic Church, Holy Smokes. Exactly. Masonic um, infiltration. Right, Masonic infiltration, P2, all those Which kids. is why they called it the Norvo, the new mass, they call it Norvos Ordo Messiae. Wow. That's right incredible. in our faces. Right in the face. Wow. Yeah, but this, so, I mean, so cynicism is, is basically devoted to uh, fulfilling the secrets of Fatima and the prophecies of Nostradamus, because they regard those prophecies as communication or commands from the other world. Because so the basis of cynicism is that you have you have to have a stratified society, basically just like Plato's society, where you have the priest class or the rulers, and the, the priest class are rulers because they're in communication with the gods, quote unquote gods. Who, who basically conveyed to them, you know, how to uh, govern. Those gods, of course, are the fallen angels, right? The fallen angels are Lucifer and fallen angels. So that's how that's how they operate. So that's what synarchism is. Is is uh, yeah? That's how. That synarchism is basically refers to the uh, system of government that is employed in Agartha, which is supposed to be uh, in the hollow earth, which is governed by a priest class in communication with the gods. Yeah, so there's the great game. Um, so what's interesting is that out of this network are closely affiliated with Nicholas II, and particularly a guy named Papu, who is the who is the mentor to René Guénon, uh, a, a disciple of Dalvedra, and there's claims that he was responsible for writing the Protocols of Zion. And whether or not that's true, the person who... Uh, who gave the first copy of the protocols to Sergei Nihilus was a woman named Juliana or Juliana Glinka, who was a disciple of H.P. Blavatsky. So what you find is that the, the, the substance of the protocols was, was, came from the right of Memphis Miserum. And Memphis Miserum was founded by uh, Giuseppe Garibaldi, who was the head of the Carbonari with um, uh, Mazzini. Right. You know, Carbonari is basically modern Illuminati. So, um, so I heard they, that, it, that the, the, the protocols came out of Russian intel, turn of the century yes. Russian. Yeah, because they came from, yeah, the, the Okrana office in Paris, and that's where Juliana Glinka was linked to. The thing is, you know, I was just thinking about this today, is that we, to understand the protocols, I think that George Orwell revealed the significance. So, in in, in in 1984, Winston, who's the protagonist, he starts to suspect that things are not what they seem. And I guess uh, somebody picks up on it. Uh, the guy, what's his name, is O'Brien or something like that, who, who befriends him and then shares with him the book, which finally reveals to Winston everything he had suspected was probably going on. That there, there was a conspiracy to keep people um, in the dark, 
But what happens is that instead, that book was a trap and it was used to catch him, ensnare him, and then eventually, ultimately, neutralize him. And that's, I think, is the secret to understanding the exposure of the protocol. So, like, in the end, I think even O'Brien asked, asked the question, like, you know, does Silver, what's his name, Silverstein, the, not Silverstein, but the Goldstein is the leader of the supposed resistance, right? Does he exist or, does, or doesn't he exist? He said, that, that question will always trouble you. <laughs> and you'll never know the answer. And if the protocols, are they true or are they not true? Right. Right. So it's a much, yeah, much more liminal book. It's much more dangerous, probably, the fact that nobody knows where they came from. Nobody or knows where they came from. And certainly, they, they, you know, they, they, in fact, you know, the most, the, the, the biggest, best clue that I got was from Abe Foxman. There's a great documentary about him, uh, particularly about Herzl called uh, Herzl and anti Semitism, because it talks about uh, Herzl's uh, recommendation to use uh, anti-Semitism to advance uh, right. the Zionist agenda. I remember that. Yeah. So Abe Foxman explained to the interviewer, he said that, he said, like, if I can paraphrase what he said, he says, how do you fight the conspiracy without using it? <laughs> right? So the idea is that you have to maintain this myth of a Jewish conspiracy because it keeps people... Uh, somehow uh, uh, fearing that the Jews have this formidable power. And maybe they don't, but it's the, it's the illusion of that power which is so effective. And that's what, that's what Abe Foxman himself admitted to. Yeah, that's he, I mean, he's, he's uh, made of off handsomely, those guys right. at the Anti-Defamation League generate right. tons of money. Same with uh, the SPLC is is immensely wealthy. And if you yeah. read their stuff, it's based upon, you know, magnifying the hate. It's actually, in my opinion, they, they right. magnify the hate for their own benefit. So, so that's exactly uh, what I discovered is that um, the person who is responsible for disseminating protocols in partnership with Henry Ford is a guy named Boris Brassel. And he is a crypto Jew as well, a Russian, white Russian. And he is part of an organization called the Aufbau. And uh, this is a great book by... Uh, Michael Kellogg, uh, can't remember the title, but exposes the Russian roots of the Nazis, something like that, that basically shows that the Aufbau was the source of the Nazi party. In particular, they're the ones who introduced the Nazis to the protocols. And the protocol, so what I also traced, now we won't be able to cover all this, but I traced extensive uh, interaction of, I believe that Hitler was a British agent. I believe that uh, Alistair Crowley was his handler. And I cover all those connections in a chapter called the Cliveden Set. But basically what happens is that Boris Brassall then comes to the United States. And then he becomes, quote, unquote, the brain trust of the American America First Committee. America First, America First is actually a slogan of the Klan. We have to remember that the Klan, again, goes back to Albert Pike. And there's a whole history there that we could, maybe we could cover in another Another show, but the history of the of the American Civil War, which I cover in some detail, that shows there's an occult history there. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. So, um, so, so basically, Boris Brassall founds. I'll 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 make I'll I'll summarize this. Try to summarize pretty quickly. Basically, he founds the America First Committee, which is composed of all the leading fascist organizations of the time, principally the Klan, the German Bund, uh, the Silver Shirts, and a number of other. 
uh, leading uh, fasc American fascists. That evolves into the America First Committee, which becomes the uh, core, the, what's called, actually it's been referred to as the heart of the military industrial complex. And of course, basically, they, uh, they are affiliated with an organization called American Jews Against Communism. And they are the ones that appoint Roy Cohn. They basically introduce Roy Cohn to McCarthy, who becomes his right-hand man. And they begin this communist care because communist care is essential for building up the military industrial complex. And one of the one of their tools is using the fear of this Jewish conspiracy by spreading the protocols. So they're all affiliated with the uh, 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 Knights of Malta. The American Knights of Malta are called the Chicxulub Knights of Malta. And this is the really the core organization which is behind American right. Uh, they're behind. So they. They lead through the American Jewish communism. They evolved into uh, William F. Buckley's National Review, which was also composed of members of the John Birch Society. And this is where you get the core. This is the core network involved in the assassination of John F. Kennedy, which apparently is perpetrated by the Permindex, which uh, to which Roy Cohn was a member. And then over this, you get the secret team, and the secret team is a core group around Ted Shackley. Working for the CIA, this is where they begin their drug trade in the Golden Triangle, which begins the history that evolves into the Rank Contra uh, mission. Out of the Rank Contra, that group that'll be fascinating. When I was in DC, I actually uh, she brought me uh, the daughter of Ted Shackley. Wow, me beers. Yeah, so I said she was uh, definitely uh, definitely from the elite set, very put together, very preppy, and. Uh, Fairly yeah. sophisticated, much more so than me at the time. Yeah, I had yeah. a friend who now works for George Soros. And he's like, Do you know who the, her dad is? And I said, I have no idea. Her dad is the blonde ghost. I said, Okay. And then I went home and kind of did some research. I went, Oh, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, Shackley is something else. So that leads all the way up to um, Rank Contra, out of Rank Contra. You get the CNP, Council for National Policy, and from there you get Donald Trump. Yeah. And what's interesting is that all of this group is basically the the it's it's the right wing. It's the internet. It's it's the fascist international, and the parent organization is called uh, Le Cercle, the Circle. That's right. founded by Antoine Pinay and Jean Violet. Antoine Pinay was a friend of a guy named uh, Raymond Abelio, who is one of the uh, Contributors to the prior Zion mythos, which again is based on the prophecies of Nostradamus and secrets of Fatima. His his protege is a guy named Jean Parvalescu, and Jean Parvalescu's protege protege is a guy named Alexander Dugin. <coughs> Alexander right. Dugin, of course, is known as Putin's Rasputin, who is the guy who is responsible for the Mossad operation to uh, disguise itself as a Russian operation to assist Donald Trump's election. Fascinating. That's incredible. Dugan also has like a Crowley connection too. Have you ever seen him reciting one of Crowley's poems? Oh yeah. He's a, he's a Crowley out through and through. Oh, is he really, does he just define himself as a Thelemite? Do you know? Not really a Thelemite. He, well, he would be referred to as a traditionalist and traditionalist basically is what synarchism is today. So there's three, so there's four people that are important to the history of synarchism. So it starts with St. Jesus d'Alvedre, then René Guénon, uh, and then 
um, Julius Savola, who's the ideologue of the Gladio operations, and then in our time, Alexander Dugan. Dugan. And you did some writing on it, too. Did you cover Order of Non-Angles in this book? Yes, I do. I believe it's in the chapter on the Black Order, because that's they are all connected directly and indirectly to Dugan. Really? Okay, so Dugan has a connection to mine. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. There's so much more to cover. I mean, yeah. I hate to, to wrap this up. I'd love to have you back and do another show on some of the specifics of this because there's so much information here, guys. It's encyclopedic, but the ties, you can just see the history, the kind of uh, esoteric or underground, the history of all these people connected to each other. And I'd like to hear your story about how Crowley, but there's a lot of connections between Crowley and Hitler, much more than people know. Barack, a lot, uh, which you probably know. But I mean, Crowley was a friend of uh, uh, Baron Ludendorff, the famous uh, World War One general, who was also uh, he was also both a member of the Aufbau and a member of the Thule Society. Right. And right the one, right. you know, what's interesting is also von Papen was in the United States working with Crowley and another guy named George Sylvester Virick in Black Propaganda. Right. Okay. So I didn't know that he was direct. But it's interesting because Crowley knew Varek very well and, you know, would correspond with him. Who was one of the first people who interviewed Hitler where Hitler laid out all of his program? In 1923, it was Varek. That's right. Varek is an amazing character. (laughs) He's friends with Tesla, friends with Einstein, friends with Freud. He also ends up in the United States, friends with... um, uh, who is the guy, the the the, the Kinsey, Alfred Kinsey, who's yes. a friend of Kenneth Hanger. They all hang oh. out at uh, Virick's apartment in New York. And guess who else is there? Uh, people like uh, friends, guys from the National Renaissance Party that uh, used to smell as belong to. That who belonged to? Used to smell as, oh my gosh. <laughs> so great, incredible. When you look at these guys, it's off the charts. And then, so Crowley's one of his buddies who he corresponded with, which I've held like their correspondence in my hand, was Austin Spare, who you see, you mentioned in the book. But that Hitler asked Spare to come to Germany and do his portrait. And uh, so, yeah, so there's a lot of, con- there's a lot of connections. And, and Crowley kind of infamously stated after Hitler I was, I, um, before Hitler was, I was exactly. He actually is mo- kind of, it's a direct line from the new testament right so yeah hitler was apparently in school with um um uh, wittgenstein wittgenstein yeah i've heard that too he's around i mean hitler was probably in the same universe as a lot of those people who started the russian revolution before world war one probably rubbed noses with freud and uh lenin and, and trotsky and all those people yeah, they were all hanging around in Vienna at the same yeah, time. Yeah, supposedly all went to the same coffee shop. And, That's right. And, uh, yeah, so anyway. That was David Livingston, what a fascinating book, man. What a great interview. I definitely recommend people go to orthoavco.ca and really just try to dig in. There's just so much information there and, and uh, just a superb job. I really commend you on this book. Thank you. For the work. I'd love to have you back. i got to run. i got another interview in about 10 minutes, but uh, – yeah, you know, no I'd problem. like to talk to you sometime in 2021 if we make it past December 21st, right? December 21st. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks for having me on. It was a great interview. All right. Thanks, David. Take care. Thanks.